It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right it. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. It's Wednesday, which means Armchair Politics is coming up in about an hour. Jan Worth Nelson from East Village Magazine will be joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left and Henry Hatter on the right. That's coming up in uh, about an hour. But first, we're going to talk with uh, former Ag Secretary Dan Glickman about his new book, Laughing at Myself, My Education in Congress, on the Farm, and at the Movies. We're also going to hear from Michigan Senator Gary Peters, who chairs the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee. And uh, that committee, uh, well, he released on their behalf a uh, bipartisan investigative report detailing security planning and response failures that led to the breach of the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. And we're going to hear the senator uh, outline uh, some of their findings and recommendations uh, in his own words coming up uh, toward the end of this uh, first hour uh, from a press conference held yesterday. So let's get right into it. Up uh, first, Ag Secretary Dan Clinton. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is just uh, 
released a uh, an autobiography called Laughing at Myself, My Education in Congress, on the Farm, and at the Movies. He is the former Secretary of Agriculture for the U.S. and uh, hails from Kansas. And uh, he joins me by phone, Dan Glickman. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. Pleasure to be with you. And and I mention you hail from Kansas because I have family in Topeka. Do you? Well, I actually was just on the phone rate with a radio show in Topeka, but I also have Michigan roots. I want you to know that. I went to school in Ann Arbor, so ah, that's okay. Okay, so yeah. in, in, in the great U of M MSU battle, you fall on the U of M side. <laughs> I do, but it's been, I, I do, but it's been so many years ago I have other battles to fight besides that one. <laughs> well, let me ask you about something. Now, you served, was it under uh, President Clinton as Secretary yes. of the Agriculture? And for his uh, inauguration, you were the designated survivor. Yes, that was actually for the State of the Union message. And some folks may remember the TV show Designated Survivor with Keith, Keeper Sutherland. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that that lasted for a few years. Uh, so they always had the odd person out uh, so that if the whole capital were bombed, uh, there'd be one person surviving. And somebody, some folks may remember that show. So I was it one year, and they, they, shipped, they said we had to leave Washington. So I went up to New York to visit my daughter, and I, I had <laughs> flew up on an airplane, military airplane, and I, I had Secret Service and, and, the, and a man with the military codes. I assume they were the military codes of those. I wouldn't have known what to do if I had needed to use them, but I had them in there anyway. Well, I brought it up because I was a fan of the Designated Survivor TV show. Not a lot of people even uh, uh, understand the the Designated Survivor uh, concept, and, and it always seems like such an impossible circumstance until January 6th when the Capitol was actually attacked with both houses of Congress uh, in session, um, and in the in the TV show designated survivor, and and I think in an episode of The West Wing, the designated survivor was the Ag Secretary. Is it always the Ag Secretary, Dan? Well, I, I, I like <laughs> to tell folks they choose the most important uh, person in the cabinet because, after all, if you if you don't have food, then there's no reason to continue to exist. But, but the truth of the matter is, is that they usually they don't pick the Secretary of State or the Secretary of Defense. So they usually pick other secretaries. So, Interior, Ag, Commerce, those are the secretaries that that are are usually picked for the job. And now, back then, I was there in 1997, and there wasn't a lot of security. But after 9/11. Uh, there are the security for designated survivors much greater. And then after this January 6th insurrection, when the whole capital was uh, uh, in, in, inappropriately engaged, I guess that's an understatement, I, I presume that the security will even be greater for future uh, designated survivors. Now, the title of your book, Laughing at Myself, My Education in Congress, on the Farm, and at the Movies, did you delineate those alphabetically or in order of importance? Uh, I think, uh, no, 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 I think it was more uh, more chronologically, I'd say. So, so uh, first of all, the, the, the book is largely based on the fact that we need more self-deprecating humor in politics. We have become kind of a humorless 
society. With I all thank the you for that, atmosphere. by the way. And and so I talk about a lot of these episodes in my life, being a member of Congress, being in the cabinet, and being a lobbyist for the movie industry and other things, and how humor, particularly self-deprecating humor, got me out of a lot of trouble and also helped me build bridges with people across the aisle or, or allies or even people out in the private sector. And and it's very troublesome to me that it's just that, that, that our, our political system at the federal and at the state level has gotten so tribal and uh, so hostile. And uh, so I, I think I just put a lot of anecdotes in there about humor can be a great unifier and it also can be a great show of leadership if used appropriately. Well, and there was a there was a sense that um, that all of these serious pursuits, you know, in Congress or on the president's cabinet or in any of the roles you played at the Aspen Institute, or did I did I read you were um, oh on the, what was it the um, oh your connection to the movies you sat on. What was the? I'm not sure what you're thinking of. The rating system, maybe? Yeah, or, that's uh, that's what it was. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You sat on that on that board, and and I'm trying to find the reference in my notes, and it's not. Uh, yeah, well, that was a uh, uh, that was probably the most significant thing I did in that job that impacted people because what we did is we rated the movies R, PG thirteen, or. PG or that kind of thing, and and uh, that was certainly an, a, a very interesting experience. I I didn't personally rate every movie. We had raters who they were they had to have children or grandchildren. They were you know a group of people that would rotate in and out and would try to decide what movie would be appropriate for certain age groups of kids. But that was in, that was an interesting part of the job. Well, and and the thing is, is is there was a time. Um, we've always had a lot of contentious uh, debate between parties and different points of view and so on, but there was a time that there was a certain humor and a certain fun about it. That I'd say that's a, that's a really good point. My wife and I talk about the fact that, I mean, it's a little nostalgia too, but, but back in the 70s and 80s, it was a lot more fun uh, to be in politics. And, you know, one example where it still exists, there's still examples of people who get along very well. Your own Senator Debbie Stabenow, who's now the chairman of the Ag Committee in the Senate, and rotated with uh, Senator Pat Roberts of Kansas, who was the chairman and ranking member uh, uh, various times. Uh, both had uh, good senses of humor and got along very well and were very bipartisan. In fact, I use them as an example of what government ought to look like. Now, I, and maybe this is too much of an assumption to make, Dan, but I'm assuming because you served in uh, the Clinton cabinet that you're a Democrat. Yes, that's correct. Then, you don't have to be, but in my case, it's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> but coming from Kansas, which made you feel more like a minority, being a Democrat or being Jewish? Uh, <laughs> well, first of all, when I first, when I first got elected, there were very few Jewish people in Kansas. So, uh, and I never found that to be a problem. Not a lot of Democrats either, Dan. <laughs> yeah, no, but in fact, when I was first elected to Congress, we had a Democratic governor 
By the way, we do have a Democratic governor now, Governor Kelly, but the entire rest of the Kansas congressional delegation and all the other state office holders today are Republican. So the state's a lot more Republican than it used to be. I mean, we used to have some Democrats uh, in, in, in the state, uh, moderate Democrats, more center, centrist Democrats, and and uh, it's changed. It, 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 certainly for a lot of different reasons, Kansas is a pretty dark red state right now. And and you can't find a place, at least geographically, that's more middle America. No, and, and the fact of the matter is, is that it taught me to get anything done. You had to work across the aisle because in my congressional district, there were more Republicans than Democrats. And in the state, it was that way. And so uh, um, it's, uh, but now what seems to have happened is, is that the heartland has become very, very red, very Republican, and the coasts have become very, very blue, very, uh, you know, de- uh, Democratic. And and I, and so I, well, I've always felt that when we had a competitive House seats, for example, when there was a relatively equal number of Republicans and Democrats in that congressional seat, it was much more likely that a member of Congress would try to compromise. How did political debate go from? comments like um you're entitled to your own opinion but not your own facts to what we see today where it's i'm right and you're a moron yeah that's a that's a very good question how did it jump that that gap yeah i mean i i think a lot of it had to do with um the amount of money in politics uh because we have so much money in politics, and most of the money is used uh, for negative type stuff. And when I first ran for Congress, my race cost a hundred thousand dollars. Today, the average congressional race is maybe three million dollars. I think that had something to do with it. Social media is had something to do with it because you know you don't get your information from the common sources. You, people tend to get their information from places that they agree with. And that's that's been part of it. And then that, a lot of it has to do with leadership and, you know, good leadership versus bad leadership. And, you know, I'm I'm you know, and there have been good Republicans and bad Republicans. You know, I thought that I, I, I served under many presidents all the way from Clinton to George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, Barack Obama. All people sometimes I agreed with, sometimes I disagreed with it, but all of them were people of high, decent moral character. I can't say that, that that's true with our most recent president, Donald Trump. I just don't think he has that high moral character. But then um, I, I hope people don't take that as a partisan comment. No, I I was always troubled during the uh, the Trump presidency at his lack of humor. Yeah, well, his humor. I mean, he he, he was kind of an entertainer. But his humor was, when he used it, was kind of bullying humor, or it was humor to, to make fun of p- other people. And my point in my book is is that you have to be secure enough to, to make fun of yourself at times. And, um, and I never saw that from President Trump. Well, and, and it is, um, it, it can be very disarming. You know, it if can it, be disarming, but you have to be fairly secure to, to do that. More with former Ag Secretary and now author, 
Dan Glickman, straight ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I'm willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. 
and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with former Ag Secretary and now author Dan Glickman, straight ahead. But is that what's missing in leaders today, Dan, is enough security to, as you say um, <laughs> in the title of your book, to laugh at yourself? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. And, you know, we live in a society where, uh, frankly, political correctness makes it where people are a lot more uncomfortable about, um, you know, maybe making jokes, self-deprecating jokes. And there are, I'm not talking about politically incorrect jokes, but, you know, today if you say something, it's on YouTube and it lasts 25 years on Facebook. And so I think people are a little more nervous about uh, being themselves. Well, I I saw a quote on uh, Facebook from uh, Abraham Lincoln that uh, says that you can't always believe what you read on the internet, and he's supposed to have said. Yeah, that. that's right, and he and he knew the internet, so <laughs> he and Al Gore, remember? Well, yeah, <laughs> even before Al Gore. Yeah, um, but there, but but there is something to be said for having some wit and one of my favorite Lincoln quotes and I I mention it often is he was challenged uh, about being a flip-flopper he changed positions on some issue and a journalist called him on it and his response was was so brilliant he said I like to think I'm a little smarter today than I was yesterday yeah it was and I tell you there was this also this great also political scientist named Groucho Marx. Remember, <laughs> yeah. he had this great line. He says, uh, the most important quality in politics is sincerity. And when you can fake that, you got it made. <laughs> and uh, I just thought that that was a pretty good line. Well, he, he had several. Uh, one of my mm-hmm. favorites is I wouldn't join a club that would have me as a member. No, that's right. He also said, these are my principles, and if you don't like them, I've got others. <laughs> you know, so he, and, he was and, a very funny guy. And, and then one of his songs uh, that I play once in a while is a theme song for a local uh, activist. Uh, whatever it is, I'm against it. Yeah, no, 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 no. That's, uh, it's, uh, but humor today, even, even you know, the, the Johnny Carson type of humor, which, uh, again, I'm trying not to be overly nostalgic, has been replaced with a lot more bitter humor even on on late night television and and uh and, and it's you know certainly a lot more political than it used to be not everybody but but we're just more uptight now to answer your question than we were uh maybe 30 or 40 years ago and and you know i i suspect that the changing nature of the media has had something to do with this yeah i i would agree with that um but there's something about the times that we live in where we're so connected that um there there isn't a, a sense of uh, learning new things the way we we used to when we would meet someone whose opinions we hadn't heard yet well you know uh some people think that the the fact that uh we no longer have any form of national service, uh, uh, whether it's service in the military and, and 
I mean, it's all volunteer service, but but the the the, the days of when you had mandatory draft and or when or or, or even even non mandatory national service where people young people are required to go out and do something maybe in the public sphere or civic uh, engagement or something would be helpful because we would meet people and deal with people who were not like us who didn't come from the same background we did and that might build some civility in society as well yeah how uh, but at a time when when we see everything that's playing out around the world the the tensions in the middle east cyber hacking the assault on the capital the racial troubles uh, that that exist systemically um the the shootings the incidents like the george floyd killing when we see all that stuff all the time how do we relax how do we get our humor back dan um can well, we or is thing- it toothpaste in the tube I, I no, I don't know. Look, look. I l- listen. Uh, a long time ago, nothing was ever perfect. Remember, years and years ago, uh, Puerto Rican nationalists came and shot up the House of Representatives, and, wounded and, Gerald and, Ford know, from Michigan, and Gerald and Gerald Ford, and 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 tried to be assassinated twice. And and uh, uh, so so we, there's always been kind of rough times in in America. What what I I I think that. Uh, what is missing is the ability to listen. So my mother used to say, you have two ears and one mouth for a simple reason. You're supposed to listen twice as much as you talk. Why? Because, <laughs> A, it's a sign of respect, and, two, you might actually learn something from the other person, and, three, you might actually find out you're wrong about some subject. And um, and I think so. I think it's cultural as much as, as, as anything else. And you know, I don't blame all the politicians. I think most of them, I've worked with a lot of the current politicians, and you have some great ones in Michigan and other places. And, you know, most people try to do a good job, but but the the uh, atmosphere is just much more toxic, toxic for all the reasons we've talked about. It really is. And what what made you decide at, at this particular time, Dan, to write your autobiography and to sort of underscore the absence of humor in in today's politics well you know my I, I was very lucky i had two parents who were extraordinarily funny had great sense of humor and my dad was a small businessman in wichita and he was of the rodney dangerfield type of humor he had all sorts of jokes <laughs> not not all politically correct so we always in fact when he would sometimes send me jokes at the department of agriculture i bought a shredder because i didn't want anybody to see a lot of these jokes uh, but they, but most of the time they were funny and they were never at other people's expense. And my mother had this very natural sense of humor. And I saw, I think just growing up, I saw how it impacted their lives, their friendship, their business. And, um, and uh, I also saw that when people liked you, they do business with you. And that's what he always told me. And so I think the same thing is true in politics as well, or should be. I, and so I decided to write this book. Because I had had a fair number of experiences, uh, and a lot of different jobs, and uh, have had trouble keeping a job for a very long time. But but anyway, so uh, I think that the, you beat just, me to that, Dan. Yeah. Well. Anyway, uh, so I think that had that had something to do with it, and you know, and and you know, and I I also remember walking through some bookstores and and and, and looking at the books that were written, and they were all 
not only very serious, but but a lot of them were the same kind of toxic uh, uh, discussion of how bad somebody else was. And and uh, while I sometimes agreed with it, I thought, well, maybe a book on political humor would be good. And then in my own state of Kansas, you may recall Bob Dole was the majority leader of the Senate. He was a very funny guy, and, and it was an effective leader because of his uh, great sense of humor. Well, I, that's uh, something you and I both share, Dan, is uh, my parents both were very good-humored, had great senses uh, for humor, and um, were great storytellers. And and I wonder if it's a, a coincidence that my mother and your parents are from Kansas. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, it could be. I mean, my dad, my dad was born in Wichita. My mother was born in Kansas City on the Missouri side, but close. Yeah, that's that's a tricky one there. <laughs> Are you more Kansas or more Missouri? Um, but uh, this is so refreshing, Dan, to to actually talk with somebody about what's missing in in really everyday American life. You know, I remember those little those little bits uh, of humor in Reader's Digest and. You know those those things, like you say, they've become any any kind of attempt at humor seems more cynical than fun. Yeah, and I think people are are nervous about this because they they think maybe if they're being funny, it it's going to get re, re, recorded somewhere into perpetuity, and and it might come back to bite them, and and so. I think that has a, l- a little bit to do with it as well. So maybe maybe my book will inspire people to kind of relax a bit uh, in, in political life, and and um, uh, le- at least I hope so. Yeah, ventriloquist uh, Jeff Dunham is is dummy Walter in a in a bit they did uh, in concert said what happens in Washington stays on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly that's saying it better than I did. Well, <laughs> yeah, but but I think the point you raise is a good one, Dan. That uh, that people are afraid to be funny. Um, even and you used an important phrase, not at others' expense. Right. And right. That if you keep that as a rule, um, it's still dangerous because when you say something funny just the fact that you might be making light of something becomes offensive i i know that and i and again you know it's this this line to draw where you go don't go over the line and 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 do something or say something that is it's wrong but but what's happened is is that the line has come back so far that people don't don't uh don't know where it is so you know, I, I, you know, on the other hand, um, um, you know, part of that is in our choosing of our leaders uh, to find people who, at, at all levels, who, who uh, can smile and 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 can take a a, a a dart once in a while and laugh at themselves. And you know, uh, it's like nobody lives a perfect life. That's the thing. Nobody, whether you're in the public world or the private world. And the question is, is that. Uh, how you deal with it, and how you make lemonade out of lemons, um, and how resilient you are. And I think that that's, that's what I'd like to see coming more into our political life. 
<laughs> I heard somebody say once, when life gives me lem lemons, I grab a bottle of tequila. Um, <laughs> yeah. well, that's, pol that's politically incorrect. You can't say that anymore. No, I'm just kidding. But but it's like that, Dan. I mean, yeah. you know, you're you're right to to make that observation because it, it everything you try to say that's funny um, ends up offending someone. Yeah, and, and yeah, so but, not only have we become insecure, but thin-skinned as well. Yeah, I think that's 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 very true. So, um, well, you know, all we can do is uh, tomorrow's another day, and and uh, I think things are, uh, you know, certainly even with the, the the difficult issues we face as a country, I think we're we're somewhat on the mend now, and um, and you know, I'm again without being overly partisan. I would say that uh, President Biden has a, a, an attitude which I think is positive, and he, he's, he's. I'm not saying he has the greatest sense of humor in the world because I don't. I don't necessarily see that, but I do see a man who is uh, secure and comfortable with himself, and and not uh, not likely to put people down. And and he seems genuinely concerned for other people, and. One of the things that I that I was hoping to ask you, Dan, is if your impression of Joe Biden is that perhaps given some time, he might, you know, let let some of the air out of the tires of all this toxicity. You know, it's funny. Uh, last night, Barack Obama did this interview with Anderson Cooper on CNN, and he basically kind of said the same thing uh, in his own way. Um, and you know, the, the main thing that, that, the, the, I think this president has, President Biden, is he seems to be an authentic person with a lot of empathy. He's had a lot of tragedy in his life, and, um, I don't see him, uh, hostile or negative. Uh, and, um, so, you know, I, I think that's good for America. Dan, is this your first book? It's my first book and probably my last book, because right? it <laughs> took me about five years. Five years to write it. So was, uh, writing gonna... a book is is very difficult. Uh, uh, some people have the knack and can really do it well, but I'm a better editor than a writer, and um, editing is easier than writing. So, um, but um, it's it's uh, certainly my first try. Who knows what will happen? Maybe they'll make a movie out of it, and we've got to figure out who's going to play me in the movie. <laughs> Uh, it's too bad Groucho Marx isn't still around. That's right. That's right. Except I don't smoke cigars. So other than that, it well, would be okay. there, there you go. Uh, but one thing I do want to make sure that that we squeeze in and talk about a little bit, as uh, as much as um, you do have some farm experience, you were the Secretary of Agriculture, and uh, you've had you've done a lot of work in the food industry, and. I, I just wondered if you wanted to make some comments about food availability and distribution and um, all of that. Well, you know, I mean, look, I, I, I care very much about the nation's farmers and ranchers, and it's a, it's a very tough life. And, and I, you know, there, there are all these competing trends here, but one is is that we have, uh, you know, uh, by and large we have the cheapest food, in the world on a per capita basis and by and large it's very safe um but we have a much more co concentrated food industry that is there are fewer players in the supply chain so um 
um, you know, it's the, the, the food business has, has certainly changed a lot. And the other thing that's changed is that the public is much more, consumers are much more involved in, in the food that they, they want to know where it's grown, wh- how good it is for them, uh, wh- wh- how many carbs and fat and all the other ad- things that are in it, and they want to know it's safe. So one of the big differences in, in the food industry today as opposed to 50 years ago is the consumers have a lot more power in in food than than they might have after the, the Second World War, and I think that's a good thing. What's, uh, when this is all done, what are you hoping to, uh, that people will get out of your your book, Dan? Um, or in other words, or put another way, how what advice do you have for Americans and and really for aspiring politicians as well? Well, of course, uh, I mentioned a couple. One is, you know, try your best to to be of, of good humor. A lot of people, it's not natural to be funny or a comedian, but to be of good humor doesn't necessarily mean you have to be a, a comedian. Listen more than you talk. That's certainly, uh, you know, an, an, another thing. Don't burn bridges. Build bridges. Don't build walls. Uh, tear down walls where you can. Um and you know, and then and then recognize that most decisions that 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 are profound are are bipartisan, and and uh, we need to get back to the days where we can respect each other, uh, regardless of what our political views are. And you know, those are kind of general thoughts that I have, and they're not nothing particularly new and novel. It's just that I give a lot of my own life experiences as I talk about them in the book. You mentioned money in politics and how that's, uh, you know, a big negative, um, that it's gotten so expensive and, and big money. Well, as some comedians have observed, we've got the best Congress money can buy. Um, but is, are there systemic things that you think we need to address or readdress whether it's redistricting or the electoral college any of those systemic things that you think need more attention than they're getting yeah you know for example uh i i mean there's a lot of discussion today about voting and the electoral process and yeah and, you know we we ought to be encouraging as much as possible everybody to vote rather than restricting uh, people from voting. Um, I think that mo- in the redistricting process, I think it would be healthy if more districts were competitive rather than and better than strong Democrat and strong Republican to have districts where you have to go after voters who are of different points of view than yours. I think that would tend to build, uh, certainly build consensus. And then somehow, although it's difficult because the Supreme Court has ruled on the money issue uh, in the Citizens United case, but Somehow trying to restrict the amount of money in politics would be a positive thing. You know, most members of Congress spend so much of their life and their time raising money. And it's um, it's not healthy for our political system. Well, and at uh, the very least, if we can't roll back the dollar amount, maybe we can make it more transparent. Yeah, transparent and also encourage smaller dollar donations uh, more and more. And that, that, by the way, in the last election you saw more smaller dollar donations than than you've ever seen before and i think that's a positive trend 
Well, Dan, I, I can't believe how, well, actually, I can believe how fast the time has gone. I, I was expecting, based on what I'd read about you and the book, that uh, we were going to have an enjoyable conversation and, and that it would go by very quickly. But I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you, the book, and, and any work that you might be doing past, present, or, or future. I know you just retired from the Aspen Institute, but you still have some some things that you're doing. Do you have a website? Uh, I do not have a website, uh, and um, I, um, uh, but uh, the best way to find me is, uh, frankly, to, to Google me. And that's the best way to go. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to get off this call because I have another one right now. Oh, well, Dan, thanks so much. Keep up the good work. You're welcome. Okay. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye. That was uh, Dan Glickman. He was the former uh, Attorney General, or Attorney General, Secretary of the Agriculture. His uh, new book is an autobiography called Laughing at Myself, My Education in Congress on the Farm and at the movies. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. I have to lay low for a while So I'll be staying here inside It's too dangerous out in the world See you on the other side but When I'm in my quarantine In my little place too high My heart is aching and I'm missing you I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side I'll see you on the other side We're all in for a bumpy ride Without you here, I hold on to this phone so tight, and I whisper you a goodnight kiss. I'll see you on the other side when I crawl out of my cage. When the world is purified, I will find you, and I promise this: I'll see you on the other side. The other side, and I'll meet you with arms open wide. I'll see you on the other side. I'll see you on the other side. I'll see you on the other side, and I'll meet you with arms open wide. I'll see you on the other side. Summer program.com The 
from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... This is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. 
The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Summer Program.com. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Well, thank you, Zayd, and uh, thanks uh, to everybody uh, for joining uh, this call. T- today, uh, my committee uh, uh, released a, a report on the attack on the Capitol of uh, January 6th. This was a uh, report uh, put out by my committee, which I chair, the Homeland Security and Government Affairs, as well as the Rules and Administration Committee that oversees uh, the Capitol Police. Uh, We came together, uh, held hearings uh, on the attack, and then did a analysis uh, into uh, security failures that led to the breach uh, of the Capitol. We wanted to put out a report uh, that was uh, limited in scope uh, to the actual security breach as it uh, impacted uh, the Capitol. Uh, and uh, be able to put out recommendations uh, fairly quickly as to how we can uh, make sure the Capitol grounds uh, are more secure. Uh, We found uh, a number of uh, troubling things uh, as a result of our investigation that need to be rectified and need to be rectified uh, quickly. I'll go briefly uh, through that. Uh, First off, uh, we we, we saw that there was uh, certainly a breakdown when it came to the intelligence services uh, from both the Capitol Police as well as the broader intelligence services that should have put out a a warning uh, to local law enforcement as to the potential for violence uh, on January 6th. Uh, Certainly that information was pretty widely uh, out there. Uh, Social media was uh, very active with individuals and groups that were organizing and recruiting folks to come to the Capitol and to engage in violent acts. In fact, to engage uh, in an insurrection and an attempt to stop the counting of uh, the votes. Uh, that were being uh, cast uh, or counted rather by the uh, by the, the Congress uh, votes that had been cast uh, as part of the electoral uh, college, uh, and yet those warnings uh, did not come uh, in, in the formalized way. What warnings did come uh, were the day before. We have a report of an FBI report that came to the Capitol Police, but it never got into the hands of uh, the folks who were actually planning to protect uh, the Capitol grounds uh, on that day. Uh, we need to do a lot more work in that area, and this uh, the report is out, but we know that we have even more work to do, and I will take this up uh, as part of my ongoing work in the Homeland Security Commitment to deal with uh, the uh, insidious rise of domestic violent uh, groups that we're seeing in this uh, country, and certainly those uh, violent domestic groups uh, played a, a role in the attack on the Capitol on, on January 6th. Uh, and we look forward to having you know, more hearings uh, uh, on that topic going forward. We also looked at the fact uh, uh, that the reaction from the Capitol Police uh, was not uh, planned sufficiently. Uh, there were insufficient plans. In fact, one of the uh, Capitol Police officers that uh, we testified talked about how folks were screaming in their radios wondering who has a plan. There doesn't seem to be a plan in place in order to make sure that the Capitol grounds and the men and women working here were being uh, safeguarded. Uh, that needs uh, to change. We also found uh, a lack of sufficient training that most all of the officers did not have civil disturbance training necessary to deal with a hostile, uh, angry mob that descended uh, on the, the Capitol. 
although there were special units, uh, they too have not received adequate training and are not in sufficient number by themselves to, to deal with what we saw on January 6th. Equipment as well, and we had most of the Capitol Police officers that were attempting to stop uh, the mob uh, here uh, did not have the, the kind of riot gear necessary to do that. They lacked uh, shields and helmets, protective uh, clothing. In fact, most of them were just in their regular uniforms and were operating without the kind of command and control necessary uh, to uh, prevent uh, this uh, incident from uh, occurring the way it did. Uh, also with National Guard and trying to get a quicker response from the National Guard, uh, one of the findings that came out is the National Guard felt that they needed an operational plan uh, before they could send the uh, um, guardsmen uh, to the to the Capitol. Uh, that uh, was under some dispute. Uh, the general in charge of the D.C. Guard uh, thought the plan was clear, just send the guard here and let the Capitol Police uh, then put them into action. But there was a considerable back and forth that uh, unfortunately uh, took uh, far too long uh, and it delayed uh, the arrival of National Guard, which uh, certainly would have uh, helped deal with what was a, a very dangerous and chaotic situation uh, here on the Capitol grounds. Well, part of our recommendations is that you need to have plans. Those operational plans need to be pre-written and there need to be exercises. We need to have folks actually exercising uh, those plans, making sure that they can put together a coordinated uh, and directed uh, response uh, should there be another a type of uh, attack on the Capitol like we saw on January 6th. So the, the report contains uh, 20 recommendations so that all can be acted on fairly quickly. Uh, that was always the, the purpose of this uh, investigation. It, it was not in any way meant to replace a, a commission uh, that can do a more in-depth analysis, not just of what happened on the day of the attack on January 6th, but also look at what uh, motivated groups of individuals to come here with such a hostile intent, uh, what, what was behind all of that uh, occurring. Uh, certainly, as we looked at the, uh, the information that was out there that the intelligence groups were violated because of the false claims made by, by uh, then-President Trump about uh, the election, uh, but uh, there certainly needs to be further analysis uh, into that, and that's why I fully support uh, a commission. And if you look at what happened here on January 6th, I look at it as really a singular type event, similar to 9-11, to where we had this attack on U.S. soil, a catastrophic uh, attack. Uh, up to that time, uh, a lot of folks uh, thought that, that uh, foreign terrorism is something that primarily happens in foreign countries and doesn't necessarily impact the homeland. Clearly, that was wrong on 9-11. We saw it in very dramatic terms of what happens with an attack on the homeland. And it uh, really created a, a shakeup in the intelligence community to make sure that they were looking at intelligence uh, in a more coordinated way and that we had more specific plans to deal with this threat. What we saw on January 6th uh, was clearly a very similar type of singular event. It showed gaps in intelligence. Our intelligence communities were not monitoring and uh, the uh, actions of domestic terrorist groups or groups that wanted to promote violence. They were not... Uh, uh, able to anticipate uh, what happened in a, in a way that local law enforcement and Capitol Police could have uh, planned accordingly. And certainly uh, we have to make changes uh, in, in that. But this is uh, our report uh, focused just on the actual events of the day, creating recommendations that we hope uh, will be implemented uh, quickly. In some cases, uh, it will require legislation. We expect to move legislation very quickly as well. So with that, I'll look forward to your questions. Yeah, hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program based in Flint. Hi, Senator. Hi, Tom. Um, 
Just just a quick question. It looked like the Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee that you chair focused not so much on the insurrection, but the uh, um, public safety response to it. And the recommendations all deal with that. Is Is there any concern that in order to be prepared to the to the level that would prevent that kind of a breach in the future that it would in some way inhibit people from demonstrating and in coming to Washington to to talk about their issues uh, uh, well certainly uh, the, we, we in any way do not want to make we don't want to interfere with uh, first okay. uh, for folks to be able to to, uh, to demonstrate, to, to be able to protest. Uh, that uh, occurs on a very regular basis uh, uh, here in Washington, uh, D.C. Uh, this is focused on when you have a violent uh, mob uh, that is assaulting uh, Capitol Police officers and pushing through security barriers. Uh, how do we make sure that we have the sufficient uh, protection in place to protect uh, the men and women who work here uh, at the Capitol? And uh, quite frankly, protected democracy as what we saw on January 6th. It was a constitutional process for the peaceful transfer of power. And clearly we had a violent mob that wanted to interfere with the peaceful transfer of power uh, in this great democracy of ours. And we want to make sure the security apparatus is sufficiently uh, strong uh, to repel any attack of that nature in the future. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Have a good day. comes along that's spreading like a plague and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague. Well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is a Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July. A super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War I. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, because we are asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the last until July. A super bad, transmittable, Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Tom Sumner Program.com
The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com You pilots, get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here! It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on! Go on, get out of here! <laughs> 